You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely other half, Dr. Jess. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You ready to talk about fighting and conflict? I'm always ready to talk about <laughs> fighting and conflict, but because I think that when we have had fights and arguments that when I have a level head, I think I benefit tremendously from the outcome. You know, uh, not long ago on the podcast, we talked about a recent argument we had. Uh, it was on a Saturday we had this argument. It wasn't about much. It was really about going for a walk. And it was one of those small arguments that feels intense in the moment, but after you kind of work through it, for me at least, I walk away with a sense of relief and I, we can even laugh about it. And many months ago, over a year ago, we recorded an episode on what we fight about. And surprisingly, it was one of our most popular episodes, especially, and this is the thing, among people who know us, like friends and family and acquaintances who apparently listen to the podcast, but uh, they've never told us about it. They've never, I guess, admitted it. And we received so many messages from people who felt reassured or comforted by the fact that you and I argue. And I don't know what would make people think that we don't argue, I guess, because, you know, we don't argue in public. And you really only see what we put out there. I mean, obviously, I don't post Instagram stories while we're in the middle of a fight. And I, I guess it just, for me, it went without saying that we're a normal couple, normal couple, we're a happy couple, but we still fight. I was thinking, do you remember our first fight? Our very first fight? Yeah. No, no, not at all. You looked at me like I was going to remember. Yeah, it. I thought you remembered. I was like, wow, I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. So I definitely don't remember. I don't even think I could pinpoint our biggest one. I can remember a few where I was really, really mad, like really mad. But the way that I used to fight and the way that I fight now are very different. I just feel like it's changed so much over the years. Oh, yeah. You're way calmer, tranquilo, tranquilo. Than, than when you were in your early 20s. But you were never explosive uh, verbally. I think it was more in your body you were exploding. Yeah, I should clarify what I meant by that. <laughs> the feel, The feeling internally felt very different than it was today. I also... I mean, I know you can raise your voice. I know you can yell and things like that. And and I, and I have, but I also know that for me, it just doesn't result in me feeling great about the fight when it's done. That's interesting. I do think it's very cultural, this notion of stay calm and don't yell. I definitely grew, grew up around a family <laughs> that we raise our voices when we are just talking. Yeah, it's just a normal thing. It really is. And I mean, did your parents yelled? Oh, your, yeah. There your, was yelling. Your there mom would have yelled. Stuff. Yeah, my mom would have yelled. My dad, not so much. If you know my dad, my dad, I can, very few instances has he ever raised his voice. He got really mad at you that time you tied your brother up on the lawn. Yeah, my brother and I were playing a game. I tied his hands behind his back and his legs together. <laughs> and then I told him to go. And he hopped away and fell and landed flat on his face. And my dad came home at that exact moment. And that's one of the few times I recall my dad ever getting very angry with me. I, don't, I still don't understand why. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't know. How uh, old were you? Uh, I, I was 23. No, just kidding. I was uh, probably 14 or 15. Oh, you were older. Oh, yeah, I was older. Definitely. Why would Jonathan let you 
tie him up at 12 years old. It wasn't an option. I was probably (laughs) part of the problem. I just did it. You're too big. Yeah, I just held him down and tied him up and said, this is a game, go. Okay, that's a story for another day. Actually, one day we should just tell your family stories. I should just talk about my brother's stories, (laughs) which I won't do, Jonathan, if you're listening, so don't worry. But I should, because that would be three episodes. (laughs) So when I think about fighting, one thing that I notice in our relationship now is that I tend to feel better after an argument. Uh, And I think that that is a sign of a good argument for me, a functional argument, one that helps us to better understand ourselves and one another, even if during the interaction it feels very tense or very frustrating or angering, angering or uncomfortable or even circular, like, you know, when you feel like you're going back and forth. I do like the feeling of tension release that comes from walking away from conflict that was actually functional. So I'm really happy to be talking about conflict once again. Joining us today are Chris Marie Campbell and Susan Clark of Thrive, Inc. You are the authors of The Beauty of Conflict for Couples. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Oh, we're thrilled to be here. This is Chris Marie. (laughs) Okay, let's start with you then, Chris Marie. What do couples get wrong about conflict? And I'm sure it's a whole lot. (laughs) Well, I think... um just like me, is couples tend to think, hey, I'll have a good relationship when everything is smooth. And for me, I took it as my my role to make sure everything stayed smooth. And so uh, what that caused me to do, though, however, is not come forward, not say how I really felt, you know, stuff my feelings, pretend I didn't really want what I wanted. And so I became pretty miserable and resentful rather than learning how to bring myself forward and then tolerating the tension of maybe Susan being upset with me and knowing that I'm still safe. Uh, Because as I learned how to do that, we wound up coming up with so many creative solutions to quote unquote conflict that I thought it was, you know, I had, it had to be her way or my way. And we wound up coming up with you know, brilliant ideas that weren't her way or my way, but something brand new when we learned to tolerate that tension. I love that. I love that. And we do avoid tension. It's a natural inclination because it doesn't feel good. But when you work through the tension, that's when you get to the fruitful stuff. So how do you even start a potentially tense conversation? So let's say we're around the house in quarantine and I feel my partner isn't pulling their weight. I feel like some things are being said right now that maybe I should be paying more attention to. Well, I feel like this would be maybe more you than me because I feel like you're actually doing more around the house because I'm a little bit more engrossed in work right now. Yeah, and I see what Susan had made reference to about maintaining the status quo, like this idea that as long as everything is good, there is no conflict and no fighting. And, um, you know, doing that can be at the, uh, you know, the detriment to your own personal, let's call it, well-being. Yeah. Like how do you, sometimes we need to fight and sometimes we need to bring things up to make sure that we don't fight. So, in the future. Mm-hmm. So what yeah. language do you suggest? So I feel as though my partner isn't pulling their weight right now. I mean, the first thing is the willingness to not try to just use a technique, because I think couples, it, that doesn't usually go too well. So, <laughs> that, you know, being able to say, look, I have something that's bugging me. Are you available? Because I'd like to talk about it. Like at least saying this letting the person know ahead of time, because sometimes timing is a big issue. So, but being frank and honest, like this is something that I'm bugging myself with. And, and then checking out, like being willing to sort of say, I, I think 
I'm doing more right now than you are. I don't know whether you agree with me or disagree, but it's beginning to make me frustrated. <laughs> and, uh, but I want to check in. Do you notice that? Or do you, yeah. So that would be one way to bring it up. I love that. I, I think- love the interrogative there. You know, the, this is how I'm feeling. How are you feeling? And do you, ha- is this a good time for you? Because right now there are a lot of bad times. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, well, and so often couples try to bring up uh, tough issues when they're like, oh, brushing their teeth or trying to get, trying to do something else. And it's like, oh, this is when I should talk to you. And we really haven't created the time or space to let the person know, hey, this is a more of a significant conversation. I'm just trying to squeeze it in and then it can backfire. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And so after you've opened the conversation, uh, what, I don't know, what insights do you have for couples? Is it okay to yell and scream? Is it okay if you disagree for a while? How do we structure our conflict so that it's fruitful, so that we get something positive out of it, as opposed to wanting to win an argument? (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's a a pretty critical point right there. And one of the tools that we talk about a lot, and we think this is really vital right now while you're in confined space with <laughs> is uh, what we, we call a five, five, five. And a five, five, five is a way of talking about a potentially hot topic or, you know, any topic really, but a hot topic where each person, so one person goes first and they have five minutes to just talk about whatever's up for them. Or if they don't, they don't talk a lot, they could take their time and go at the pace that fits for them to address that issue. Then the second then once that five minutes is up, it ends, and the other person has five minutes to talk about the topic. And then after that five minutes, the last five minutes is where they clarify, ask questions, talk, you know, make sure they understood. It's It's not necessarily about getting to a resolution, but it's making sure that each person has a chance to fully talk about the issue. And you also don't want it. So two things that happens with couples, usually one person is like, we don't talk enough about things. And the other person is like, oh my God, we talk way too much. (laughs) (laughs) Which is exactly why we say five, 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 not five, five, 45 or, Mm. you know, but you give that time. It's a contained 15 minutes. So you can't really say you're talking too much. And people have taken variations on the theme, like a three, three, three <laughs> to start up with it. Cause the person that feels like, oh, five minutes is way too long. But it, it and it's also not to like dry. Another mistake couples make is they, they want to come to a solution. So this is what we're going to do. This is how we'll solve it versus actually taking some time to like, why is this so important to you to get underneath what's happening and not driving to a solution will help create more of the connection, which we crave in relationship, like really understanding, wow, this is why it bothers you so much that I don't pick up my laundry or, you know, whatever's happening. I'm getting to know the other person. And and I'm also getting to know me in that 555 as I think about, well, what is happening for me? So what happens at the end of the 555 if, if one of you is feeling like, oh, I'm so talked out and the other one is, is feeling, man, we've only scratched the surface, get your butt back here. Uh, how do you manage that? We actually say, don't start again. Don't go do something different. Um, but you can always come back to a 555. Like, well, we were, um, oh, I'll let well, Susan I'll, tell the story. I'll tell you, I mean, one of our um, own, the way this became so critical for us was there was a... Chris Marie's kind of a workaholic. She, you know, really loves to work a lot. And um, we never take vacation, but we decided to take a vacation and go on a 
a wonderful yoga retreat. It was this beautiful location for seven days. I was so thrilled. And we got to our Palapa down in Mexico, this beautiful space, and we're getting ourselves set up. And Chris Marie says, as she's putting on things, she goes, I don't think I'm happy in this relationship. (laughs) I think, uh, I don't know. I'm just not satisfied. And I had this moment of like, you have got to be kidding me. Not, (laughs) Not the first time we've taken a vacation. This cannot be happening. So I did, I took a breath and I thought, well, okay, I'm going to use our tools. Like I said, I don't really want to figure out whether we're going to stay or go like today. Like we have seven days of vacation. I want to enjoy some of it. How about if we use the five, 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 at least once a day. And she talked me into twice, once in the morning, (laughs) once in the evening to address our, our relationship. And then we would go on and do some other things. Well, I think it saved our relationship, that 555, because one, you know. Well, what happened is I, as I talked about how, you know, I was so unhappy in this relationship over the course of seven days for like at max 30 minutes a day, I started to realize, no, it was actually, it wasn't the problem with Susan and I, it was the fact that I wasn't doing anything fun. I wasn't, and you know, I wasn't dancing or acting or painting the things that really give me juice. And so that happened you know, over a titrated experience of having the 555. But when couples stay in the 555, it usually doesn't, doesn't bode well. So we say small bits over time, because in those breaks, while you're having fun or going back to work, you continue to process what you've talked about, whether what, whether it's what you've shared or what you've heard your partner say. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. I appreciate your note on unhappiness with self versus relationship because oftentimes the relationship gets scapegoated and yeah. we're, we're really <laughs> yes. unhappy with the work we're doing on ourselves or we're unhappy with our friends or our jobs or our other social ties or we've cut all of those off and put all of our eggs in this relationship basket expecting it to be wholly fulfilling. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, I also think that there are times where there's a therapeutic element to just putting your words out there. Once you start (laughs) saying the things that bother you, either you realize that they have validity or you realize that they're ridiculous. Yeah. Giving giving (laughs) yourself, well, I mean, when I hear myself complain about certain things in all, you know, in all seriousness, I realize these are insignificant when I really think about them. And I'm not saying they always are, but for me, when I, when I just said them out loud, I was like, okay, yeah, I need, yeah, no, this doesn't, this is not, important. Mm -hmm. What is important at the time was this relationship. What was also important was me keeping, uh, you know, a level head, thinking rationally and listening. That was a big point. Mm -hmm. Well, that, Mm -hmm. that's an interesting piece there. The skill of sitting there and shutting up for five (laughs) minutes must be a huge challenge. So I do wonder if people begin with like a three, three, three or a two, two, two. Uh, How can you cultivate your listening skills if this is new to you? Because as you said, oftentimes there's a partner in the relationship who won't shut up and the other one who doesn't even know what to say. Well, I this is Susan. I think the key, key, key thing is, one, you could start with less time, but the other, you know, which could help you develop the capacity to be able to do it. But also for me, it makes a big difference when I think about what 
is the intent behind listening. And for me, it really helped when I realized I am just getting to know this other person. I'm not deciding whether I agree with them or disagree with them. This is just a chance for me to fully understand and get and get curious about my partner and really hear from their perspective. And when I think of it like that, I have a lot more room. Like if I don't think we're trying to solve the problem, I can make room for, let me even, I don't even know you know, why you think this is a problem. So, and I know you do. So I'm interested in that. In our book, we talk about just the, um, we're, when I'm listening and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that means I've got to do it differently. It can feel like, oh, I'm wrong. I'm being inundated or, oh my gosh, she's going to leave me. (laughs) You know, those, those are the things that start to uh, trigger us and thinking, I've got to make it, you know, I've got to intervene. And if you can, and we do talk about this with couples and when I coach individuals, how to actually self-soothe and recognize that person over there while I'm connected to them, they are a separate being and they're going through whatever they're going through. And can I cultivate a sense of safety in my own skin, despite what's happening over there or what I think they're, she's telling me I need to do, or I'm not doing enough of. And that's the, I think the, you know, the ability to self-differentiate and know that I am an equally whole person, even if she's upset with me. Yeah, that's such a challenge to emotionally differentiate, especially if you're the type of person that feels responsible for somebody Mm -hmm. else's feelings. I know, Brandon, for example, I know a fear of yours, and we've talked about this, is that I'm mad at you or that a mood that I'm in is your fault. And we can get into the habit of I'm upset about something, you think it must be your fault, and then you try and fix it, and then I actually do get upset at you because I'm like, don't fix it. <laughs> yeah, or more importantly, oh, I, know that one I'm looking for you to appease my sense of, or my, my insecurities, as opposed to focusing in on the problem. I'm like, oh my God, are you really mad? And if you are mad, it's like, well, I need you to make it, I need you to assure me, first and foremost, so that I can make sure that you're okay, right? Like, it took a long time to kind of break some of those, some of those preconceived ideas, and uh, and move forward. Yeah, and and to be clear, it's not all on you. I think that because I know that you'll respond if I'm upset, sometimes I have to be really mindful of the way I communicate my feelings. One thing I think we both tra- struggle with, and I'd love to get uh, your insights on this, how do we let go of the desire to resolve things? Because we are both very solution-focused oh people. So I practice solution-focused therapy. How are we going to fix this? <laughs> Everything in our lives at once. Go. <laughs> that could be quite stressful. Yeah. <laughs> well, you could create a virus. I think this experience of going through this pandemic is forcing people to not be able to resolve things. Right. Which I think is a skill we actually have probably lost a little bit because mm-hmm. we our culture is so impatient with getting to the solution, getting to the answer versus hanging out in the question and being willing to kind of wait a minute. Is this really something that has to be resolved immediately? And so that's and, one piece. And this is Chris Marie, because, uh, well, Brandon, I can so relate to you in the relationship dynamics with uh, Susan. I'm, I'm definitely like, oh my gosh, she's going to be mad at me or she is mad at me. And I think this idea of tolerating, um, that uncertainty. And so what I noticed that I could do, because I can be quite driven and I want to get it resolved, is I can say, I can just reveal that. Like right now, I just want a solution. And it's really hard to hang out. So just actually dropping into that vulnerable, what is true for me right now, it, it lessens the pressure of having to get it done by just acknowledging it. 
Yeah, and, and I mean, that, those are great points. They really are. And I think that there isn't always a solution. And sometimes the argument doesn't make y- you feel great in the moment. But I, I do, I, I think I'm really hung up on finding a solution always. But I appreciate that perspective <laughs> of, uh, and both of us, yeah, of hanging out in the question. And, you know, even just saying to yourself, I'm letting go of solutions right now so I can show up and be here mm-hmm. right now. I, it reminds me, of course, not that it's a panacea, but it does seem that mindfulness practices apply in almost every situation. To, mm-hmm. Not that it's going to solve the issue, but really help you to tune in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, sure. I, I would agree. I think that even just a few minutes helps. And also in the midst of, of conflict and argument in our, in our relationship, I find I get flooded. And when I'm <laughs> flooded yeah. uh, with emotions and with thoughts and all these sorts of things, I have a very hard time staying um, focused on what the either the problem is, the argument is. Mm-hmm. Like I have to really work hard on remembering, hey, what are we fighting about? No, really, like <laughs> what? what's this argument about? Because I'm so either in the past, it was concerned with justifying my position, validating my position, finding a solution, giving use, like just solutions. And none of those necessarily are what is needed. Sometimes like Jess said, and I've learned, I need to shut up. I just need to shut up and listen. And I'm not criticizing myself. I'm just saying, listen to what the other person has to say rather than worry about defending my position. Now, you, you talk about in your book the fact that conflict could be the secret ingredient to happy relationships. Can you explain to us why we should perhaps lean into conflict or rethink the way we view conflict? You know, so often in relationships, you know, we get into them from the romance side of it. But really, romance is really just a a relationship with my imagination. It's really got nothing to do with the other person. At that point, it feels great. And it is a little bit like being on a drug. But, and until you start to realize, wait a minute, this person, my imagine, you have to kind of interrupt that. And it's going to create tension because this person who I wanted to be this way isn't the way I want them. So I start to try to do little things to manipulate them and get them. Oh, they're, you know, with a little bit of time, she's going to come around and she'll, you know, for me, it was, you know, I got in, had a romance around Chris Marie being an Olympic athlete. And I was so excited. We were going to do all these outdoor activities together, do this, do that. that no, she, <laughs> this is not, she was an Olympian, great athlete, but not outdoorsy. And I have per- I keep projecting that onto her, but it created tension. And that's where, you know, it's like we had to talk about our differences. And that's what made it, you know, made us much more, made our relationship much richer. And so often, and um, I am just trying to be what I think you want me to be. I'm working hard to be who Susan, you know, I did the tandem bike ride and I was miserable on it, <laughs> you know, in our, in our uh, honeymoon period. And so we're not bringing ourselves forward. And there's a cost to me when I don't bring myself forward and show up. I, I can, I am so much more relaxed in this relationship and have so much more aliveness in it because I'm willing to say, wait a minute, this doesn't fit for me, or this is what I like and I don't like. And so often I, when I coach, I typically coach individuals who are struggling in their relationships and they're trying so hard to please the other person or be what the, they think the other person wants. And they're not even willing to risk speaking up when I first start coaching with them. Like, wait a minute, 
I don't want, I don't want to live on the coast. I want to live in the mountains, whatever it is. And when you can, um, it's the reason it's so powerful is I get to be me and, and hold that tension. And we get to find out more about each other in that edge of contact when we're having those different opinions. And it sounds to me that this really, to me, it aligns with this anti-romance, anti-toxic monogamy notion that you can fulfill all of your partner's desires and needs. <laughs> and if we could let go of that, so many of us could go out of business, which would be great because that's, <laughs> really that's why we got into this business. I mean, to me, I, it was never a business to begin with, but you get into this field because you want to help people. And it just makes so much sense to me. Now, you talk in your book about passion and how mm -hmm. conflict and passion are related, how you can bring back the spark that's been missing. What insight or advice do you offer to people who are looking to get that passion back? Well, I mean, one, the the biggest thing, Krishmi's writing me a note I, here. The so biggest thing is, I will. The uh, biggest thing is risk saying what you think might actually end the relationship. And Ooh. that is a really threatening thing for most people. But if I have a real uh, hard time with, um, or even, you know, those people that want to do polyamorous to actually risk saying, this is what I want. Now, then we have a conversation to see if that's actually going to happen. That would be a big one or risk. When I risk saying, I'm not sure I'm happy in this relationship. And I was terrified to say it. I could only say it once we got out of our routine and on vacation. And then we were, uh, you know, we digested it and we found a whole bunch more, I found a whole much more juice in my life. And then that trans translated to the relationship. But so often we're holding back what really um, is true for us because we're scared the other person's going to abandon us in that truth. Right. And life is so short. I think about this in the big picture. Uh, for example, opening up a relationship, if that's your truth, imagine being stifled for a year, 10 years, mm -hmm. 20 years, a lifetime, or something smaller, mm -hmm. like a sexual fantasy, feeling stifled that you can't bring that up. Uh, maybe not because you think it would end the relationship, but you believe it would do the relationship some damage. So I really appreciate the perspective of taking the risk and saying the things that might upset your partner, that might cause damage, that could even lead to it's dissolution, but you, because eventually, if you're thinking it and wanting it and believing it, it's going to come out. If not in your words, then in, if we go back to the beginning of your conversation, then in resentment. Mm -hmm. exactly. exactly. And so often resentment, people resent their partner, but nine times out of 10, resentment is always a sign that I am not doing what I want to do and need to self-define. It's always about something I'm not saying. And it's so easy to make it about the other person. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, we can get stuck there. And, you know, passion and aliveness really comes when I show up fully. And risks, like even so many times I've worked with couples where someone gets interested outside of the relationship, and mm -hmm. then the partner gets jealous, and then they can't talk. And I'm like, you know, the fact that your partner is actually excited and interesting somebody is a cool thing you should be interested in that, you know, and talk about it because it's going to bring more aliveness into your relationship. It's, you know, it's natural to have attractions. Now, if you don't ever talk about them with your partner, then they do undermine, take, undermine and take you outside of the relationship. Right. And become more powerful and shrouded in shame and secrecy. They actually get more exciting when you yes. don't bring them up. I, I love that. So how do we have people, how do we shift 
our perspectives, if we've been holding something in and we we want to open up. And then the flip side, if you are the partner and your partner's coming to you with something new and your first inclination is to blow up, uh, how do you kind of take a breath and calm yourself down? Maybe we start with the first part. How do I force myself to open up if I've you know been accustomed and I don't think we can discount how age and gender and race and all the other pieces of our identity affect whether or not we believe we are entitled to a voice. I for sure have typically been the partner that has kept things back. And so we teach couples workshops and we always demonstrate a boundaring experience, which is usually so Susan's like, okay, I don't know what you're going to bring up now. And I usually have something. And so, and I talk about, Hey, this is what's really going on for me. And it's, um, it takes courage and and Susan is a partner that has a hot temper. So she's likely to have a negative reaction. And it's um, what I've started to just cultivate is this, this sense inside of me. And this is just, I think, for my own work, because bringing up things at home growing up in my first family, it was violent. So it's scary. And I've cultivated enough now. We've been together 20 years that I'm not going to get hurt. And it's okay and tolerating, again, self-soothing and saying, I'm I'm worried you're going to blow up or I'm uncomfortable that you are. Well, I also think starting with little things like talking about how you each learned about what you learned about conflict, what you learned about communication Growing in your up. families. Like we will often encourage couples do a five, five, five around something like that first and gradually begin this five by five is also a way to begin to build up the capacity to have more difficult or challenging conversations but start smaller so it's kind of like working a muscle you kind of have to be willing to kind of do some of the early training so you get better at it and then you can take a riskier topic mm-hmm. i like that and i i realize that you've also written a more general book the beauty of conflict for and you you this relates to more people in corporate environments and other types of relationships. So is 555 and these different approaches you're using, do they apply in, in different types of relationships? You know, in our, in our, Beauty of Conflict book for, it's, I, I just shorthand it for teams. It's more using like, we have a communication model, like check it out. But we do talk about the power of listening. You can do a 555 in a business. Usually it's best with um, one-on-one. You know, if you've got a, mm-hmm. an issue with somebody, it, it's a little bit harder. Although you could do a two-two-two all around the team table if you mm-hmm. had a hot topic, you know, you could adapt it that way. I like and that. really, yeah, making space for people to be heard. Is, yeah, is key. Yeah. I appreciate it. Well, I, I think I always the reason I ask is I always think about how communication for couples applies in the workplace and vice versa. And I'm I'm always yes. encouraging couples to take their business acumen and their business strategies and approaches and and um, formulas and see how it might apply in their relationships and really invest. So I highly encourage people to to check out these books. So The Beauty of Conflict for Couples. And uh, your website is thriveinc.com. So yeah, I encourage people to continue uh, to read, to learn more. I definitely uh, want to read your other book as well. So we really thank you for being here today. So much appreciated. We'll uh, be sure to share your book and your website in the show notes. Thanks so much. I also have some questions from listeners. So many people write in with questions about fighting and arguing. And this one, this person asks, how do we stop having the same fight over and over again? And I think we've all run into this at different points in our lives. I do think that sometimes we fight just because we're tense about something else. And then we find something kind of light or innocuous to fight about to relieve the tension. But I also think one of the other challenges is that We dig in and we've fought so hard over and over again that we just want to be right. 
right? We want to win. And rather than wanting to win or wanting your partner to come over to your side, I have these three questions I use to kind of guide arguments and maybe a more outcome-driven perspective. And I guess this is sort of contradictory to what Chris Marie and Susan were saying because it is outcome-driven, but I, I mean, it's just a different perspective. Uh, one, Number one, what am I hoping to get out of this argument? Number two, what am I willing to do to produce this outcome? And number three, what do I want to ask of my partner? And I think a lot of the times we, we skip over number one, <laughs> so we don't even know what we want. We skip over number two because if I'm pissed off, how could it possibly be my own fault, right? I look for external so- sources. And we go straight to, this is what I want from you. Come on, just, you know, hear what I'm saying. And I'm not saying there's not validity to, th- validity to that. Sometimes I do just want to be heard. But if you can think about what am I hoping to get out of this argument? What am I personally willing to do to produce this outcome? And if you can't come up with a bunch of things that you can do, don't even go mm. to number three. Yeah, that's a great point. And ask, and ask your partner what they can do. And another person asked us kind of a similar question. How can we cut back on the daily bickering that has been weighing down our relationship for years? And, and that's interesting. You know, it's not uncommon to find yourselves bickering about little things or nonsense. And sometimes we fight about little things to stave off larger conflicts. But sometimes we use them as a distraction to avoid having the tough conversations. So we fight about, you know, where we put the milk carton or, you know, who left their towel on the floor instead of really considering whether or not there are underlying issues that we've been avoiding, like the big conversations that perhaps we've been sidestepping about finances or in-laws or sex, so much tension around sex. Also understanding that those conversations you're going to have aren't going to feel good like that's you know being prepared for that and being prepared to listen you made reference in the conversation with Chris Marie and Susan about I think not always I I mean feeling good after a fight like you found resolution sometimes I don't feel good Mm -hmm. after a fight and understanding that taking that break that you know the 555 or the 222 like listening to what the other person has to say being aware that it might make you feel crappy Mm -hmm. and then reflecting on what was said so that when i do come back i can come back with a proactive way to find again if there's resolution that i'm seeking trying to find resolution with like a level head and then knowing that i hope to feel better after. In the future, big picture. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe even if it's not resolution, I do like understanding. Yeah. Right. I think I like the language of understanding. Even if we don't agree, we there's a better understanding of, of where you're coming from. And with bickering, yeah, I do think sometimes you have to look at what are the bigger things that we're avoiding here? What are we sidestepping in order to just fight about the nonsense? And, and if you can't find any big underlying issues, uh, of which I guess the bickering could be the symptom... I go back to my 99 rule, which is if I'm lucky enough to live to be 99 years old, will this still matter? I love the idea of talking about the bickering because I think when you start talking about all the things that bother you, it's amazing how some of those things can be very insignificant leading to your 99 rule. You're like, am I really upset that you always leave the dishes in the sink or the, you know, your cup? It's like, yeah, I am. And 
Yes, I'd love for you to stop doing it. Could you please stop doing it? <laughs> Did I leave the dishes in the well, sink? No, no, this no. I'm just making reference, right? Where it's like, could you please stop doing it? And you know what? If I have to do this, but I've said my piece and we've tried to find some resolution to this action that's bothering me, then hopefully it's either it either gets fixed or, you know, I, again, maybe you've thought about it being a little bit silly in the grand scheme of things. Oh, for sure. And I'm not downplaying people's bickering. No, but sometimes in the heat of the moment, I think I really want a point to land. And then, you know, if I was telling it to a friend, retelling the story of this fight, I would feel like such a tool bag, right? I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm an idiot. And and that happens all the time when you and I argue. The next day, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm an idiot, or that was my fault. And in the heat of the moment, because I'm physiologically flooded, because my heart is beating, because I'm breathing faster than normal, I just can't clear my head. And that actually goes back to something we talked about last week. When I'm feeling anxious, what I'm trying to do now is rather than working through the anxiety cognitively, rather than trying to think about it more realistically, I'm just focusing on the physical first, taking a few deep breaths and focusing on on the physical manifestations of anxiety. And I think we could do the same thing in fights. It's interesting. I think you like breaks during fights more than me or arguments. Is that uh, not always. I know that I need the breaks though, because I, well, no, I, I get flooded and sometimes we're in an argument and I'm like, I don't even remember what we're fighting about or why I'm irritated, but somehow I'm defending a position about something that I said that I don't even remember if it relates to the argument from the beginning. So those, those breaks really do help me come back with a clear mind. Right. And I, I'm more resistant to them. I'm like, no, let's do this now. And so I've had to really learn that when you want to walk away, you need to walk away. And you've been, one thing I said to you, I remember a long time ago was that if you need to walk away, can you tell me how long you need? Not that you have to stick to it, but like I, there's probably this fear that you're walking away forever or walking away overnight, as opposed to just walking away for 15 minutes or two hours. Not using it as a strategy or as an, as a manipulative tool in an argument to make the other person feel uncomfortable. Right. And I think that's an important differentiation between withdrawing from a conversation and refusing to engage and saying, this isn't the right time for me. I need to go get in a headspace or you might even have something to do. I know that I see couples get angry at each other because one person, for example, has a meeting and they're like, well, isn't this relationship more important than the meeting? Okay. Yeah, of course the relationship's more important, but this relationship can be put on hold for an hour long meeting, especially, you know, if you've had that meeting confirmed for weeks on the calendar. So I'm not saying that that's always the case, okay? Like I know that, you know, we have a tendency to personalize uh, scenarios and stories, but this doesn't mean that you should never cancel a meeting, right? If it's a really big, you know, if somebody just had an interaction where there was a severe breach of trust or somebody's really hurting, of course you can cancel a meeting, but you can't always expect to get the answers from your partner right here, right now, when I want it. Yeah, and saying this matters to me this matters to me. I want to resolve it. Can we do it in one hour or in 30 minutes? You're so good at that. One thing that you, you've you always made me feel from the very beginning of this relationship, and I can't even think of the exact language you use, but I think it's something along the lines of, I want to work on this. Like I'm, I'm committed to working on this. What is the language you use? Yeah, I think that is it. I do express, and don't do it sarcastically, I want to work on this. No, you know what it is you say? Okay, you say like, I want to make this work. And so no matter what's going on between us, you're expressing to me that you're committed to this. And you've been like that man since the beginning of when we met. 
Yeah, I don't know where that came from, but I also know that it's a desire. I know that greater things will come of working through a problem. I think I've, I've taken that approach everywhere. And sometimes it is so hard to remember that. Mm-hmm. And that's why, and I, I'm guilty of having had do, having had done the walk away with not giving a time frame for how long I'm going to be gone and using it as a tool to position myself in an argument. But But these things I've learned over time. And now I just know if I'm trying to fix this, I need five or 10 minutes. I need to walk around the block. I just need to think about things. And while I'm doing that on that walk, I'm thinking about what you said. I'm thinking about why I'm angry. And I think about how am I going to fix this? Well, and we're fixing it together, right? It's this team thing as opposed to again, getting them on your side. Like we're one team, we're not two. And uh, another piece that I'm sure I've talked about before that I know every therapist and expert disagrees with, but we've resolved a lot of issues over text. Yeah, we definitely have. Uh, And again, communication is key. Like what am I saying to you in my text? And you get to reread it and edit it. Now, let me be clear. I know it doesn't work for everyone. I know that it lacks tone and nuance and you might put the wrong emoji like i i don't think my mom knows what an eggplant is so i couldn't just say, i couldn't yeah. resolve a text issue with her no but that has worked for us it doesn't mean it'll work for you and i think that's the bottom line that uh, with all these different perspectives nothing is gospel you have to figure out what works for your need for, for you and what works today may not work in a week right it can change over time so you know, be open to to new approaches and also to going easy on yourself. Uh, again, I know it's a rough time. Let's all go easy on one another. So I'm going to stop there. We're back twice a week now. Not for long. Normally we release on Fridays, but we're also releasing on Tuesdays right now. So make sure you subscribe and share and check us out on social media. I'm Sex with Dr. Jess and Brandon is Verity Brandon. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.